Well, it is Father's Day, and to all those who are celebrating today, I hope it is a rich and uh, joyful day for you. I am certainly crossing my fingers for five minutes of just <laughs> a little bit of peace. Um, I know it can also be a complicated day, uh, a painful day uh, as well, and uh, if that is true for you and, and for your situation, uh, know of my prayers for you as well um, today. Today is, uh, it's not only Father's Day, as you know, it is also Juneteenth. Uh, on this day in 1865, almost, or I guess uh, after two years, uh, after the Emancipation Proclamation, Union troops uh, arrived in Galveston, Texas to uh, announce the end uh, to slavery. It was an important moment uh, in the history of our country, and it's worth uh, just recognizing together today as we gather for worship. Freedom is uh, one of the main themes. I would say it's the primary theme of Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, and not just uh, political freedom, but a kind of existential freedom, a freedom from sin, a freedom from death, a freedom from shame. Um, and if you were going to make a, a greatest hits uh, album uh, of the Bible, which I don't know why you would do that, but if you wanted to, this would be a passage, the passage we're about to read would definitely be on it. And definitely like at least the opening track or at least top three. Uh, it gives us a little bit of a snapshot into what the gospel is and how it functions in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, but before we read it, let me give you just a, a bit of context uh, about what you're going to hear. On his first visit to uh, the region, Paul, the apostle Paul had preached that it was faith. It was faith. It wasn't a social or an economic status uh, or position that determined one's relationship to God. Uh, Christ's death and, and resurrection had fundamentally altered the way uh, of the world. It had inverted the order of religious participation. Anyone could participate. It didn't matter what nationality, what social status, or what gender you claimed. But he had learned, as he, was, uh, as he had left Galatia and he was uh, on his mission through Asia Minor, he had, lear he had learned that there were some people uh, at the church in Galatia who were basically going back on this, who were attempting to control the lives of other uh, converts, especially new Greek converts to Christianity, by imposing extra burdens on them. And so if you've read Galatians before, you know that there is a, there is a certain tone uh, to this letter, Paul is a bit frustrated. And he writes this letter to remind the church in Galatia that the purpose of the gospel uh, is to, in, in James Baldwin's words, make us larger, freer, and more loving. And if it isn't doing that, it isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord uh, to us this morning. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. 
Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of us, of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1973, uh, a a little rock band from London that you might have heard of before called The Who uh, released their sixth album entitled Quadrophenia. It didn't uh, have quite the the commercial success uh, as some of their earlier albums or definitely as some of their later albums that have been co-opted by CSI and CSI Miami and CSI Las Vegas, anyways. Um, But it was an important record. It was actually a rock opera, remember those? It was a rock opera that told the story of a young man named Jimmy and his search for identity. And one of the the opening tracks uh, is entitled The Real Me. And it follows Jimmy as he consults with uh, different authorities, different people in his life about his identity, about who he is. He seeks out his mother, it's a good place to, to go. Um, He talks to his doctor, and then, much to my surprise, he consults with his priest. And the song kind of builds as Jimmy's desperation builds, as he he kind of begs them all, can you see the real me? But none of them can. Who am I? Who am I? This is a question uh, I think all of us spend a lot of time wondering about. And it's not just a question that young people ask either. I remember a, a few years ago uh, talking with a man after he had recently retired uh, when he told me that at his retirement he went from being who's who to who's he. Some of you might have experienced that before. At the Golden Globes in, in 2016, the comedian Jim Carrey presented the award uh, for best comedy. And uh, before he introduced the nominees, uh, he said this, And remember, Jim Carrey is just a little bit funnier than I am. So imagine him saying this. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe-winning actor, Jim Carrey. Because then, I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. Can you imagine hearing that right before you are presented with an award? <laughs> if you watch the, the clip, you'll see uh, and hear all the laughter that his speech received in the room, but it is a kind of tense and uncomfortable laughter. Everyone there knows exactly the feeling that he names. And so do we. So do we. Ultimately, uh, the, the question about our identity is wrapped up in this anxiety, this anxiety about whether or not we are enough. If you pay attention um, closely, you will notice this logic everywhere you look. You will see people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, smart enough, influential enough, woke enough, good enough. And if you look closely within yourself, I imagine you'll see it at work there too. 
search for enoughness is a, a form of self-justification, right? We're trying to earn our acceptance. We're trying to earn our worth. And it's exhausting. Can we just all name that together here in this moment? It is exhausting. Last year, the tennis player uh, Naomi Osaka, who was at the time the highest paid female athlete in the world, in the world, uh, confessed at a press conference after losing at the U.S. Open, I feel like for me, recently when I win, I don't feel happy. I feel relief. I feel relief. That is as far as the gospel of enoughness will get you. Relief. What does this have to do with Galatians? Well, according uh, to Paul, this endless search for enoughness is basically how the law works in our lives. The law reigns over all creation, and it exposes all the ways that we are not enough. The theological and psychological term for enoughness is righteousness. It's righteousness. And the reformer Martin Luther once wrote that the law says, do this, but it is never done. It is never done. And it doesn't really matter if you're religious or not this morning. The question is not if, but what form of the law that you subscribe to. Paul tells us that the law is a disciplinarian, right? So I want you to think of like the worst coach you've ever had. That is the law, right? It reveals your faults. Uh, it, it, it asks you to improve. And at best, it can kind of enforce a kind of obedience. But that's as far as it goes. And please don't hear me uh, when I say that the, the law is bad. The law was uh, given to the people of Israel uh, as a good thing, as a just thing. And it was intended to help them live in a way that God um, was honored and human flourishing was maximized, to give them a picture of the good life. So the law itself is good. The problem has less to do with the law and more to do with a kind of user error. Right? What the law reveals to us is that we will use basically anything, anything, to justify ourselves, to convince ourselves that we are enough. If you recall, uh, think about the story of the rich young ruler right, who came to Jesus uh, to see what else he could do to earn eternal life. Even though he claimed to completely have fulfilled the law, which first of all, sure you have, buddy. Um, he comes to Jesus, he still has this feeling inside of him uh, this, that, that he still wasn't good enough, he still hadn't done enough. In Jim Carrey's vernacular, he was only a two-time Golden Globe winner. And Jesus, who is willing to play along with his little experiment, told him, okay, you've done everything, well go and sell everything that you own, knowing full well that he was not going to be able to do it. Right? The point of that story is not to go sell everything that you own. The point of that story is that the law is not meant to make you righteous. It can't do that. And thankfully, it wasn't intended to. As I mentioned uh, in the translation I read earlier, Paul tells us that the law is a disciplinarian. But uh, the word can also be translated as babysitter, which I think is a, is a much more helpful way of thinking about it. Um, as any parent will tell you, babysitters are worth their weight in gold, right? Worth their weight in gold. Uh, it is the one resource that young parents will not share with each other, 
right? It's like too scarce. It's like, yeah, no, my babysitter, very limited. They only want to babysit my children. I cannot give them their name to you. Babysitters are a short-term solution, right? And in general, in general, we don't expect that much from them, right? If you're a parent, I don't know what your expectations are for a babysitter, but mine are perhaps, I'm just realizing in this moment, embarrassingly low for babysitters, right? For instance, if, if my wife Abby and I go out on a date, I'm expecting to come home to children who are basically alive, like still alive. That is what I want from you, babysitter. If they are fed and asleep, thank you. Uh, God bless you. That is a bonus. I will tip you for that um, extra work that you've done. And even during these days of summer when we're relying more on babysitters, like I want, you know, my kids not to be sunburned, terribly, terribly. a little sunburn's fine, um, be filled up with Chick-fil-A and off the Nintendo because I want them to play the Nintendo when I get home. Um, babysitters serve a temporary purpose. They're not parents. Right? Even though I love our babysitters, many of whom are, are young women from this congregation, I love them. I'm not relying on them to uh, instill the identity uh, that I want to instill in my children. I'm not relying on them for that, to give them their sense of self-worth and purpose. And so like a babysitter, what Paul tells us is that the law was also meant to be a temporary solution. It had a specific purpose for a specific time. And that specific purpose was to reveal our need for faith. And what is faith? What is faith? Is faith uh, just a, a kind of vague, good vibe that everything will turn out? Is it the only form of acceptable superstition in the modern world? No, it isn't. As I heard a colleague say recently, faith is whatever is going to get you through the night. And that isn't your status, it isn't your achievements, it isn't your goodness, it isn't your political identity, it isn't your race, it isn't your sex, and it certainly isn't just some vague good vibe. Your faith is only as strong as the object it is placed in. And I've, uh, because the object of our faith is Jesus, I think you can just replace the word faith with the word Jesus, and you'll see what I mean, which is what I've done. Now, before Jesus came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until Jesus would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be reckoned as righteous by Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through Jesus. I know that by now you're all dying to know how that rock opera ends. Did Jimmy find himself? Not really, but I think he discovered something else, something better. The final uh, scene, if you are aware of it, ends with Jimmy on a rock on the Brighton Beach coastline. There he sits, exhausted, worn out by his kind of endless search for self-worth and self-importance. He's come clearly to the end of himself. All of his attempts for acceptance, all of his attempts for success have not really yielded very much, but his journey has not been in vain. Because when you come to the end of yourself, that's usually where you discover faith. So there he sits on a rock as it's pouring rain 
And as it begins to rain, he lifts his voice and he sings, love, rain over me, rain over me, love, rain over me. That's what we all want, isn't it? For love to have the final word, for love to reign over us, to lo- for love to reign in us. And thankfully, that's exactly what is promised. If Martin Luther put it that the law says do this and it is never done, grace says believe everything is already done. As a result, the most important and the truest thing about us is not our status, it isn't our achievements, it isn't our piety, it isn't our sex, it isn't our gender, it isn't our race, it isn't our devotion. The truest and most important thing about us is that the one way, unconditional love of God in Jesus Christ reigns over us and all of creation. And if you believe that, and you can give up the search for whatever it is that you think will make you enough. The reign of the law is over. Thanks be to God. Let the reign of love begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.